Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. It's always our pleasure to invite you coming along to our program. And uh, if you can, just have a Bible ready because we are going to go through the Bible again in the book of Genesis. We continue to learn about the faithful people in Genesis. And uh, today we are going to talk a little bit more about the promise. But before that, I would like to welcome our panel. Brenton, it's good to have you with us. Thank you, Nick. And it's, uh, this is a really interesting study that we're sharing together um, on air today. And Joe, it's good to have you joining us too. Yes, thank you, Nick. It's always good to be here. Ken, thank you for being part of this. Thank you, Nick. Always a privilege to be here. And Lydia, thank you for joining. Thank you so much. Always a blessing and a pleasure to be part of this team. Len, also thank you for joining. Thank you for the welcome and hello listeners. And Will, it's good to have you with us. Thank you for preparing this uh, study for today and you are going to facilitate this uh, discussion. Thank you for joining Thank you, Nick. It's always a privilege to be part of it. In our study so far, we've noticed that God had promised Abraham innumerable descendants, in fact, like the sand of the sea. But Abraham and Sarah began to doubt this in their old age, thinking that the birth of a son through Sarah could not eventuate. The Bible tells us that Abraham took things into his own hands through Sarah's servant, Hagar. And they had a son, Ishmael. But God still assured him that this is not in the divine plan and that Ishmael would not be his heir. There must have been some degree of skepticism concerning the possibility since Abraham was around uh, 99 years old and Sarah about 89. But let's look at the amazing way the Lord accomplished what he had foretold. I think we should pray pray first. Len, would you pray for us? Yes, we'd like to join us, listeners. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity of opening your word and sharing what's in it with those who are listening. We pray, Lord, that we will do this faithfully, that your will be accomplished. We invite you to fill us, the panel, with your spirit and also the listeners, that they too might... um, be amazed and comforted by your word and realize that these things that we're sharing today is for our benefit in these modern times. We invite your blessing on us today and our listeners. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Len. I'm sure, panel, you'll agree with me that God's promises know no limits. And finally, as God had promised, Sarah bore Abraham a son in his old age, Genesis 21 tells us. And he named the baby Isaac. The lad grew into a strong and obedient son, of whom the old parents were immensely proud. But soon, Abraham would face the greatest test of his life. What does the Bible say? Let's read it together in Genesis 22. Um, Len, would you take us through that, please? Yes, I'm going to read from the New International Version, Genesis 22, verses 1 to 12. It says, Some time later God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, 
Here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I'll tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's quite a stock and touching story indeed. And uh, Len, perhaps you could read what the result, what happened just after that. How did the resolution come? Okay, well, there's a lot of questions that people ask about this, but I'm going to read verse 13 as well. After the angel called Abraham to refrain from killing his son, it says, Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Wow. I wonder if we, if in our minds we relate the words of spoken to Abraham, take now your son, your only son, to the words of John 3.16. What do you think, um, Ledger? If we relate this scene of taking your own son, your only son, we can relate this with the sacrifice of Jesus. So Jesus came on this earth, as the Bible says, God gave his son for whomsoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God gave everything. God gave his only son. And it's paralleling exactly with Abraham. Abraham waited for so many years for the promised son. 
And he went through the agony before it happened for so many years and after. And um, now when he was asked to give, to take his only son, I think, humanly speaking, it was not so easy for him. Uh, I think he went through the agony of doubting that God promised that he will have a hair for so many years. And now God is asking him, take now your son, your only son, the promised son, take it and sacrifice it. I think he, he went through an agony. Uh, humanly speaking, I put myself many times in Abraham's position, but his faith was so strong. And he said, Lord, I love you. I trust in you. I believe in you. If you ask me, I do whatever you ask me to do. Yes, it's a story indeed. Nick? Yeah, just very quickly. Uh, so far, we mentioned here Abraham and uh, to bring uh, his son, you know, as a sacrifice. Then we parallel that with uh, uh, the death of Jesus Christ, our Lord. What I want to just very quickly say is interesting that we talk about the promise during this study. And you may think when you talk about the promise, it's something good. But the first thing which represents this promise, a part of what God says to the first parents after they sinned, it was the promise of a redeemer. But actually, the next thing is the human being to experience was death, because that was the penalty of sin. And even now, with that promise, first needs to come death and then victory. And that was the case with uh, Abraham and Isaac. You know, uh, they went through this agony, as Lija said, but through their faithful, uh, you know, following God's promises, they, uh, they become victorious. And uh, that was the same with Jesus. You know, even though everyone was affected by his death, of Jesus' death, you know, and discouraged the disciples and so on and so forth. But victory came through the death of Jesus Christ. I think it's very interesting parallel there. Well, I find, although this is a parallel and probably a prefigurement of Christ, I find something very interesting in that passage I just read. In verse 5, where um, Abraham said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. And then his next statement is, we will worship and then we will come yeah. back to you. In other words, Abraham didn't expect, it seems, that um, this would be a permanent thing with Isaac. In other words, I think it seems that he thought that if he did kill Isaac, that God would uh, resurrect him. And here is another parallel uh, to the life of Jesus. Jesus died. He, he completely died, but he was resurrected. So this verse makes me think that this is what was in Abraham's mind. Now, I don't know. This is conjecture, but it probably fits the, the pattern. Well, Brenton and I... I think this is deeply perplexing stuff, and I see you. It, it, it is. Uh, Will. 
How do we understand why God would subject Abraham to such a test? I mean, it seems it seems terrible to think about. I think um, there's so many dimensions to it, Will, that it's it's a bit difficult to give all of them. But one of the key dimensions was what Len read right at the start, at the start of Chapter 22, when it, when it said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and offer him as a sacrifice. I think it was to impress Abram's, Abraham's mind with the reality of the gospel uh, that he, his faith was tested. What did God give? Let me <clears throat> read this little statement. This is a statement by an angel made regarding it, saying, Think ye that the father yielded up his beloved son without a struggle? No, no. It was even a struggle with the God of heaven, whether to let guilty man perish or to give his beloved son for him. What was God asking Abraham to do? I believe he was asking him to give up the most treasured possession he he had, his son, um, I'm sure his wife, um, Sarah, was also very high on the list as well. But if you had asked Abraham and Sarah, what is the most important thing in your life? I'm sure they would have said Isaac. So God is actually asking him to give up the thing that he loved the most in order to impress upon his mind what the God of heaven was giving up later on in giving his only son. Now, it's interesting, if you want to apply that even further, Len touched on the fact that he said we will go and worship and come back. Hebrews 11, 17 to 19, tells us that he believed that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. So you have a figuration of the resurrection in what Paul says in the book of Hebrews as well. But this is this is just so important because Jesus said before he went to the cross, unless you are willing to give up everything, you cannot be my disciples. The application for us in 2022 is pretty clear. God gave everything in giving his son. He asked Abraham to give everything in giving his son. He asks us to give everything in order that we may truly follow him out of love for what he's done for us. I wonder at the rest of the panel, what are your thoughts about this extreme test? And also, what anguish do you believe the old father must have struggled through while walking side by side with the very son that he was about to slay? And I'd like to think that uh, he was bearing it alone because he had kept the thing hidden from Sarah. Otherwise, the mother would probably never have allowed him to even leave. Panel, what are your thoughts? I think it's worthy to note the fact that uh, because Abraham uh, was the uh, extraordinary prophet with whom God uh, would share his plans, God entered Abraham's human sphere and shared with him to some degree his plan of salvation through the sacrifice of his own son. So Isaac was a figure of the son of God who was offered a sacrifice for the sins of the world. So God uh, would impress upon Abraham the gospel of salvation to man. So in order to do this, 
uh, and make the truth a reality to him as well as to test his fate, he required him to slay his darling Isaac. All the sorrow and agony that Abraham endured through the dark and fearful trial were for the purpose of deeply impressing upon his understanding the plan of redemption for fallen man. He was made to understand in his own experience how unutterable was the self-denied of the infinite God in giving his own son to die to rescue man from utter ruin. So to Abraham, no mental torture could be equal to that which be endured in obeying the divine command to sacrifice his son. Yeah, it's profound indeed. Joe? I think something that struck me while Len was reading this passage was that the Lord had told Abraham what he wanted him to do. And in verse 3, it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey so forth, so forth. And I'm thinking that I would have probably dilly-dallied for a couple of days, wondering whether I'd imagined it all and um, waiting for the Lord to tell me again. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet here we have unquestioning, unquestioning obedience and prompt obedience. And so perhaps it tells us how obedience sometimes needs to be prompt or always needs to be prompt, but without always understanding every aspect and understanding all the possibilities that might eventuate or not eventuate, leaving it with God, you know, leaving it with God and obeying him because he said so without expecting to be told why and wherefore and so forth. And so um, that that impressed me that only sure. the next morning, mm. early, yeah. early, off he went. Um, Well, I I find it interesting from this aspect. I agree with Joe what she said regarding this. Um, The extreme test, well, it's interesting because Jesus referred to this in the book of John. He said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Now, I believe Abraham was not only um, the father of the faithful, he was also a prophet. I believe God gave him a vision of the plan of salvation right down to the second coming. And so um, what what would he have felt after he came back from this experience? He would have felt relief that his son was still alive. He would have felt that God once again had provided. That would strengthen his faith. And it would have enabled him because after this, you don't really find an awful lot more in the rest of the story of Abraham other than chapter 24, where his faith is tested. In chapter 24, which we'll get to later on, it's over getting a wife for his son. But here, I think the main thing that is being impressed upon his mind is that the gift that God gave was something that even he couldn't um, comprehend. But in his humanness and in his uh, humanity, he recognised that what was going to happen ultimately, and maybe he was reflecting back on Genesis 3.15, he would have been thinking along the lines of, I've been asked to give my son. I've said yes, and God has provided. God is going to provide ultimately a sacrifice that will cover the sins of the whole world. And I think that's another lesson that he would have been learning as he travelled back from Mount Moriah back home again. 
The question is, why did Abraham obey immediately? The answer, I believe, is because he trusted God. You know, God had said a number of times to Abraham that there would he would have multiple offspring through the son, the, the miracle son that he would receive, and that was Isaac. So I imagine there was some sort of conflict in Abraham's mind as they were making their three-day journey. You'll notice it was a three-day journey. Yes. And that has many implications to the life of Christ. But um, you're probably thinking, well, the Lord has promised and he's told me a number of times that I will have many progeny through Isaac and here I've got this. So he must have had some sort of further inkling that God was not going to go back on his promise that he'd made a couple of times already. So I think he, he stepped out in faith with the expectation that he would have those progeny, even though he was asked to slay his own son, which I couldn't do. Uh, let's not forget about Isaac. I think at that stage, Isaac was about 14 years of age. So he was a teenager and he, he was so obedient. Apart for, for the fact that he asked quite a few questions, Father, we have everything. We have the wood, we have the fire, but what is the, the, the lamb for the sacrifice? But he was so obedient. So this denotes the fact that he was raised up in a perfect obedience with God and he obeyed. He obeyed. He stayed there quietly to be tied to the altar and ready to be sacrificed. And he didn't oppose. Which is, it's very impressing for me, a very obedient child. I also think, Will, that this is one of the challenges many Christians face today is having this blind faith in God. I understand many of them face great problems and it is very hard at times because they cannot see what's in front of them. They can only see immediately what's happening to them. And I think this is why it's so important to read the scriptures because God has put so many stories in there where we see the what man has done and then we see where God has fixed up the situation. So I think it's uh, it's an amazing story. And just to, to mention again what Brenton was uh, talking about and Len alluded, uh, that um, is not much uh, after this uh, experience, this this. Uh, a story about uh, Abraham, uh, a part of Isaac and finding a wife for Isaac. This is, I believe, very significant because, you know, now God promised Abraham a great seed. And here, here it is. You cannot have that unless Isaac will marry and uh, be the lineage, you know, which God promised. What a parallel with our Lord Jesus Christ, that he came to die. And that that was not in vain. His death produced, if you like, the seed, you know, the church, uh, which is today. We are the that great promise that uh, his sacrifice will, will not be uh, in vain. And here we are today, Christians, to rejoice 
in this promise? And are we representing God in what we do? It's a great question. Yes. Well, there's a whole profound truth that a lamb that was, or a ram that was caught by his horns um, in the account that God was providing a sacrifice or a substitute. And the key word substitute there for a sacrifice on Moriah. Moriah would be the place later where God, where Jesus would actually offer. So how does this provision, Joe, uh, relate to all later generations, including us today? A few have touched on this already in their comments. And um, I'd like to just, yes, there is definitely a profound truth. And this unique, it only happened once event. I'm talking about the sacrifice of um, Isaac was a demonstration and typified what would happen on Calvary. The experience on Mount Moriah, now as anguished and as protracted because it took three days as it was, served as a lesson to Abraham as well as all those who came down the ages, that as willing as we may be and as capable as we think we may be, we cannot in any sense be our own saviors. Only God can provide this for us. We have nothing to offer but only to willingly and humbly accept what he has done for us on Calvary. This entire experience pointed to when the substitute offering would come. The anti-type of the ram and the thorns meets the type of Jesus. Now, we know that John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus approaching, he called out to him and the crowd, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, the crowd must have thought, Wow, who is he talking about? Who can take on the sin of the world? But not only that, we know in Romans In chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Imagine that. Not only has the lamb, that is Jesus, was provided, but he came while we weren't even looking for him or feeling our unquenchable need, the all-sufficient, so that millions of sinners can look to Christ with hope and faith and be saved. You know, these days we hear a lot of people say things like, you know, salvation in the Old Testament was through works. You know, it was dependent on how well you obeyed the law of Moses. And this was, you know, salvation by grace is only in the New Testament. And yet here we have it recorded in the Old Testament for those, and it is through many, many instances, that salvation is only by grace in the Old Testament and in the New Testament for those to careful to, you know, look into it. The experience of Abraham on Mount Moriah is that such example of how helpless man is, even one as faithful to God as Abraham. No obedience in all the world, not even sacrificing your only child would be enough to cover the debt owed. In fact, God himself would provide a sacrifice without any human contribution. The ram was in the thicket provided by God himself. This is the foreshadowing of the matchless gift of his own son. I'm summarizing here. However, when the time came, no voice came from heaven or anywhere in the universe for that matter to stay the hand that nailed Jesus to the cross. There was no last-minute rescue. There was no last-minute escape. Jesus paid the price. Yes. 
Well, profound indeed. And it's, it's something that we should never forget, uh, Joe, for sure. Lecher, do you believe that the dramatic events on Moriah were an object lesson even to heavenly beings as well? Yes, I do believe that um, this lesson that happened on on the Mount Moriah was it's a it's an actual lesson for us that we are living in nowadays, and also was a a lesson a witness for the heavenly beings. As we uh, commented before, Abraham obeyed unquestionably, and uh, all heaven beheld with wonder and admiration about uh, Abraham's unfaltering obedience and all heaven applauded his fidelity. And uh, it says that the angels grasped the mystery of redemption to comprehend that the commander of heaven, the son of God must die for guilty man in comparison. So it's a parallelism that Jesus died the Son of God died for us also. Yes, thank you. Uh, you know, Lydia just commented a, a little about uh, the uh, role of Isaac, what he must have felt like. Uh, I wonder if, uh, while little is said about uh, Isaac's complete submission to being sacrificed on Moriah, are there lessons for us to learn from this obedient son? I've read this passage that we are talking about many times over the years, and I have never come to appreciate the character of Isaac as much as now. It seems that Isaac was a very, not only privileged boy, but he had elderly parents, and usually people are wise or wiser when they're elderly. And I think Isaac was brought up in a very careful and in a very God-fearing manner. Now, if Isaac was a teenager, as uh, it's been suggested, that he probably would have been um, quite capable of running away or overpowering his father. But he didn't do either of those things. He would have also heard from Isaac, uh, sorry, Abraham and Sarah, that he was the heir. It was through him that God was going to fulfill his promise of having many offspring. He would have known all that. He would have been told. But I think he was a very nice and a very good boy. And although he could have easily escaped, he chose to obey his father. In fact, it reminds me of a passage about Jesus himself, that he was obedient unto death, and Isaac was prepared to be obedient unto death. In other words, he regarded principle as more important than life. And I think there's probably a a lesson here for us as Christians Do we count our lives more important than obeying God who gave our lives in the first place? Now, I'm not going to answer the question, but uh, there are many people through the years, many martyrs during the dark and middle ages, who chose to die 
in in, uh, preference to disobeying what they knew to be right. Mm. So Isaac himself is a very important role model for people these days. You know, Len, while you were talking, I was thinking that Isaac must have known from an early age how close the relationship was was between Abraham and his God. He had probably witnessed his father in the, in prayer and in communication with uh, with God. And uh, you know that builds on a child, doesn't it? It builds faith and trust, not only in the, in our heavenly Father, but it builds an enormous confidence in your your own earthly father. If you see how close, how strong your faith or the faith of your, your, your earthly father is. And that's why I think that when it came to the, to the, the final test, uh, this, this youth already trusting his, his father was willing to submit to death. But he had, we must never forget that he was promised through Abraham's words, of course, uh, f- uh, from God initially, that Isaac, yes, he himself, the youth, would be the father of a great nation as well. And um, I think walking closely with God makes it easier to take these difficult steps. Mm. But I really applaud Isaac for his uh, his faith in not only his parents, but in the God that uh, he couldn't see. Well, it all comes to a, to a halt for his, for Sarah. How much she knew about this after the event, well, it must have been explained to her, and it must have been a horror to her to have heard that she could have lost her son on Mariah. But um, finally, Sarah dies. And uh, Ken, what does the Bible tell us about the details of where she was finally to be buried? Well, the story is uh, told in Genesis 23, and I'll summarize this as we take this story up. Sarah has just died at the age of 127 years old in Hebron in the land of Canaan. Abraham has come to mourn for her, and it's obvious there are other people there as Abraham starts a discussion with Heath, who is the second son of Canaan and great-grandson of Noah regarding buying some land from him to bury his wife, Sarah. Heath recognizes Abraham as a great prince, even though his tribe is the smallest in the land, and he offers Abraham to choose any tomb that he desires that his people own and without cost. Abraham asks for a tomb that Ephron has, who was also present, and he in turn offers the tomb to Abraham for free. Again, Abraham refuses to take it for nothing, and asked Ephraim what it is worth, to which Ephraim replies 400 shekels of silver, which Abraham pays out there and then. So the tomb and field was secured to Abraham by the sons of Heath. There is clear mention that she died in the land of Canaan, Genesis 23, verse 2. This underlies the grounding of Sarah's death of God's promise of the land. Sarah is the first dead of Abraham's clan to have died and been buried in the promised land. Abraham's concern for himself, a foreigner and a visitor, as explained in Genesis 23 and verse 4, 
and his insistent argument with the sons of Heath show that Abraham is interested not just in inquiring a burial place, he is primarily concerned with settling in the land forever. Yes, thank you, Ken. Now, Genesis chapter 24 tells the story of the marriage of Isaac after Sarah's death. And what arrangements are made by Abraham for his son to marry in the faith, as it were? Well, listeners, if you want to read a beautiful chapter in the Bible that leaves you with a feel-good feeling, read Genesis chapter 24. It's a beautiful chapter. God has given Abraham and Sarah this lad, this boy, this baby of promise who grew up to be a man. He was a young man and his mother died. But Abraham was concerned about Isaac because in the land where they lived, the people were all heathens. And he wanted his son to have the best advantage that he could. And the only people he knew who honoured and served God were the people in his homeland way back in the... uh, area of Haran and Ur of Chaldees. So he arranged with his servant, his uh, chief servant, to take some camels, to take some gifts, to take some other people with him, to go way back. It, it might have been a trek of about 1,400 kilometres. And uh, before he left, Abram made a, a promise. He said, You go back and you see if you can get somebody there who will be willing to come back here to the land of Canaan where we now live to be Isaac's wife and make a solemn promise. So the servant did this. So off he went and eventually, and on the way, the servant who must have also been a very godly man prayed to the Lord and he said, Lord, I don't really know where to go but we'll go in the area and we'll go to a well where people would come to draw water. And when a girl comes down, I'll say to her, would you give me a drink of water? And if the girl said yes, and then she added, I will also water your camels, 10 of them, mind you, and a camel can drink about 40 litres in one first quenching drink, um, If she says, yes, you can have a drink, and I'll also give your camels a drink too, this will be a sign from you that this is the right girl. Well, it happened. He came to this well, and it was in the evening, and this was the time when the young women would come with their water jars and collect water to take it home. And this beautiful young woman came, and uh, she got some water, and when she came up, the servant of Abraham said, would you mind if I have a drink? And she said, sure. She gave him a drink, and then she added, and I will give your camels a drink too. Mm-hmm. Well, Eliezer prayed, praised God for this. The upshot of it was he went to the home where Rebecca lived, and Rebecca was the daughter of Bethuel, and Bethuel was the son of Nahor, who was actually Abraham's brother. And uh, a bit of negotiating was done, 
and the servant wanted to go back on the journey as soon as possible. They wanted him to stay so they had a little bit more time with their daughter. But no, it happened and away she went. All right, now I'm skipping a lot, but listeners, please read it. You'll be blessed by reading this story. They get back to the land of Canaan. Rebecca's riding on a camel, and there she spots this man. And she said to the uh, Sir Abraham servant, Who's this? Ah, this is Isaac, my master's son. And that was his master too. Rebecca got off. She put her veil over her face. I want to read the last couple of verses because it's beautiful. Uh, from verse 62. Now Isaac had come from Beer Lahai Roy, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He's my master, the servant answered. So she took a veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife. And here's the bit that I really like. And he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. I think this is the one and only time in the whole of the Bible where it says uh, a husband loved his wife. New Testament gives husbands counsel to love our wives. Here it says Isaac loved his, his wife, Rebecca. What a beautiful story how God answered prayer and uh, how Abraham's wish for a godly woman to be Isaac's wife was granted. Actually, I was very impressed with this servant of Abraham. In, in chapter in Genesis 24, verse 2 said that he was the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had. And uh, he was um, mingled in all Abraham's life and he was there uh, 100% and he knew everything whatever happened so he was a very obedient servant to Abraham and also to God because he took the initiative and he uh, trusted everything in God's uh, plan um, and first of all his name was Eliezer so he prayed to God uh, he addresses God as his personal and historical God. Secondly, he uh, uh, takes the initiative and asks for success in the operation, and he asks God, please give me success. It means to happen right there, right now. And the event occurred straight away. Uh, and the servant proposes a test to God in this test, and uh, the fulfillment of the servant's prayer began even before he prayed. It says, he, before he had finished praying, Rebecca came. Oh, so he was a very faithful servant. To me, he is an, an example to follow. Can I just add on that one uh, in regard to an object lesson here? We are all called to be servants of the Lord. And are we uh, reflecting ourselves in this story of this servant 
to be so faithful, uh, even though, you know, we are working together as uh, we know, you know, if you, if you are a Christian listening out there, for the growing of the kingdom of God. And that was the interest of this uh, servant also. Yeah, I believe it's a responsibility for each one of us to be faithful to God, to be part of this great promise. It pays to surround ourselves with good people. And this is what happened in this instance. That's so true. Also, it's, it'd be interesting to, to consider that Eliza, now how selfless was he? This uh, man was considered to be Abram's heir. Remember? Remember when God, he said to God, um, Eliza is my heir, and he says, no, no, it's not going to happen. You're going to have a child of your own loins. And how selfless he is. He's, he could have been the heir, and yet there's no envy, there's no jealousy, there's no self-promotion. He has stepped back from that position as the potential heir to allow Isaac to be what God had destined him to be. Yeah. And also the fact that everybody along the line obeyed. I mean, the reason it could happen the way it happened was that all those concerned showed faith in what God had directed and in the God, in God's leading. You know, Rebecca could have even said, no, look, I don't, I haven't even seen this guy. Why would I go with you? You know, there, there could have been any, any number of things happen that would have thwarted God's plan. But even if that had happened, God would work all things to the good of Isaac. So I think there are so many object lessons here that, you know, we're just touching the um, ice cap. Yes, that's so true. Brenton, do you want to add to um, Rebecca's free choice in the whole matter? First of all, Isaac is about 40 years of age when this takes place. Uh, just another comment on our friend Eliezer. Three times he prays in this chapter. These are the first recorded prayers in the whole Bible. And it's interesting that each time uh, God answers, he falls down and worships. I think there's a real lesson for us today that when God answers, how thankful really are we? Are we ready to worship him and thank him for uh, what he's done for us? Uh, in regard to Rebecca's free choice, this is an interesting one. Uh, we know genealogically um, how Rebecca is related. She's actually Isaac's cousin. Now, that's a rather interesting one today because we don't marry cousins in this day and age. So that's another one to think about. Nahor is um, Abram's brother. So um, this is this is rather an interesting uh, scenario that you've got here. I think the fact that her father, Bethuel, and her brother, Laban, said this thing is of the Lord, we cannot say either for or against, uh, talk to the woman herself and see what she um, is willing to do. In verse 57 of chapter 24, she says, if they say, they say to her, will you go with this man? She says, I will go. Is there a degree of faith here? I think um, Joe covered it pretty well. There's a great degree of faith here. She's going out, not necessarily not knowing whether she went, but she's going to a man that she doesn't know. And I believe that there must have been some sense, even though your question says, 
how could she not have known? I think uh, the answer to that question is there must have been some sense that she would have understood that by marrying Isaac, who was the son of promise, she would end up in the line of uh, the lineage of Christ because when she came and married Isaac, in effect, she took over as the matriarch and the family. I don't think we've touched on that. Remember, Sarah's dead. She's been dead for three years. But uh, now that Rebecca has come and married Isaac, she takes over as being the matriarch in the family. It's a wonderful story, as Len said. And I, I think in all of these things, you can see the moving of God, but you can also see the response. And in this, these cases, it's a positive response to what um, God is moving upon these people to do. Yes. And when, when the servant related what happened to the family with um, Rebecca's family there, yes, she heard how God had intervened in this uh, particular thing. And she must have realized this is from God. Mm. It's God's will that I should marry Isaac. And um, so she, she realized God was in this. So why should she refuse? Yeah. Good yes. point, Lee. Now, panel, why should we, why is, should we really be so narrowly concerned about being unequally yoked with those that reject God today. Abraham went out of his way to get someone that is a believer for his son. Uh, any comments on that? Well, I've observed in my life that some of my uh, friends from when I was young who married girls who were not Christians, what happened to those friends? It wasn't long before they ceased becoming Christians too. Where possible, we should not be unequally yoked together, even in business relationships, because there will always be uh, influences which will, which are questionable, like in business, a non-Christian partner might want to do things which are Ill illegal, and in a marriage situation which is probably the most intimate relationship you want to have all the influences that can help rather than hinder now in my personal instance i made a deliberate choice to choose a christian girl to marry and that's been a blessing well i also think that uh, the information given in the bible to be not unequally yoked, is an incredibly important message. I myself have witnessed this in our own church where we've had uh, uh, members come in and have got involved with uh, non-Christian type people. And within a year or two, they've left. And also in my own family as well, where one of the people have been Christian, the other one hasn't. And that has, uh, that has caused major issues and separation as well. So it's an incredibly important topic and one I'm seriously thinking about before you make that decision who you're going to go with. Yes, Nick? I just want to mention also that uh, when we talk about um, uh, unevenly yoked, it's about to understand that we are about to fulfill the promise because... Uh, that's why it's important, you know, to consider these things. Uh, if, if you are unequally yoked, you may hinder that 
thing. And uh, I think it's another responsibility, not just for myself, when I consider this to enter a relationship, that, but to consider what God expects from us. Yes. In fact, you know, to keep that lineage pure from idolatry, Abraham actually, uh, Genesis 25, verse 20, verse 5 and 6 says, Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac. But yes. while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away, sent them away from his son, Isaac, to the land to the east. So he wanted to preserve that lineage pure of um, idolatry and evil. But the time comes for when Abraham dies. And what do we know about the matters surrounding the death of Abraham? Well, interestingly enough, both his uh, sons bury him, Ishmael and Isaac. They both bury him in the cave of Machpelah, which is where uh, Sarah is buried, and where a number of the other patriarchs will be buried later on, Will. So um, this is... This is really, really interesting what what happens. It seems to me that there's a degree of reconciliation between Ishmael and Isaac insofar as they have come together to honour their father's passing and to conduct the funeral service together. I see the positives in that and I see God's guiding hand over it yet again. I believe that he uh, wanted... um, uh, Ishmael and Isaac to get along, even though we know that their progeny didn't get along, ultimately. I believe God's plan was that the knowledge of the true God should also go to Ishmael's descendants as well as Isaac's. Yes. I think also um, we have to remember, I think this passage in Genesis 25, 7 to 11, tells us that Abram lived 175 years and then he breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years. Now, Abraham had lived to 175. You know, he had spent a 100 of those years wandering in the so-called promised land, not really um, in any position to, to overtake it or to occupy it in a significant way. It was still a promise. He hadn't seen um, all the children that were promised, you know, as numerous as the stars and the sea, you know, sand on the seashore. And so he died believing that who, he who said it would accomplish it. And I think what um, Brenton has said that we know that Ishmael left under some very difficult circumstances. And there would have been some difficulty in that relationship over the years, and yet they were able to, you know, laid aside their differences and presided and grieved for their father um, after his death. Thank you, Joe. I think that the experience of Abraham is one that we could uh, emulate. His self-denial, his complete... uh, trust in the infinite God, and especially the experience that he saw that that Jesus or the Messiah would step in to save man from utter ruin in his experience there on uh, Moriah. You know, I think Abraham had a tremendous mental torture, and that, that could probably, well, it's far, not even as as strong or as as intense as the torture that God must have gone through to offer his own son. 
You know, it's a tremendous sacrifice for us all. And I, I would like to encourage everyone today to understand what heaven went to to save mankind, each one of us, for eternity. And I want to call for the response of committing our lives again to God, the God who committed so much to us in the first place. As um, we pray together, let's consider our relationship with God. Joe, would you pray for us, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we have such beautiful stories in Scripture that mm. teach us the powerful truths of your love and your care and concern for each one of us, mm. yes, not Lord. just us, Lord, but the whole world, and how Jesus, that Jesus, the Lamb of God, had paid the full price so that you and I and everyone in this world might have a hope in salvation. I hope, you know, that it's more than anything in this world ha that has to offer a, a future, a life and life more abundant. Lord, help us to recommit or to commit ourselves for the first time, if, if need be, to, to serve you, to want to know you, to want to study your word, to come close to you, to be your child. We pray that you give, give us strength to desire what is good, to be obedient. Mm -hmm. To reach out to you in hope, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, everyone, for uh, your input today. It was a great uh, study. Uh, and indeed, uh, God's promises, we can see them around us every day. And we should be grateful that we are part of this uh, lineage. And uh, may God uh, bless you all. And we are inviting you to join us again when we are looking a little bit further in this great uh, seed, uh, talking about Jacob, who later on became Israel. Until then, may God richly bless you and have a safe walk in the footsteps of Jesus.